Thanks, Pastor Jeff. Appreciate that. Appreciate the prayer and uh, all the good things that are going on here at the chapel. Welcome to all of you. And you have, if you happen to be here for the first time or second time or third time, glad you are with us. And one of the things we look forward to is, of course, worshiping, but then hearing God's word. And we are in a series called, I'm going to put it up there on the screen, Thriving. There it is right there, Thriving. Isn't that a great term, Thriving, whether you're on a sports team or in your family, or your personal health, or your work, the idea of thriving. What about thriving in our Christian life? That's what we're talking about. And so it's a study through uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter to the Thessalonians. Paul wrote another letter, actually before this one, which is to the Galatian churches. And I want to start there, if I could. It's a verse that you may be familiar with. It goes like this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what happens when you cross the line of faith. If you've reached a point in your life where you realize, I cannot rescue myself, I cannot make myself right with God, I cannot find myself, find my way to God or to heaven, I need help, I need a Savior. And it's Jesus. And when you put your trust, when you transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus, something miraculous happens. God's Spirit comes to live within. And he joins God's life with yours and gives you new life. And then the Holy Spirit goes to work, growing gradually these character traits, which are representative of Jesus himself. That's what God wants to do in each one of our lives over time. Now, the word we're going to focus on is the one in yellow, faithfulness. What is faithfulness? It's it's living a faith-filled life. It's the ability to stand firm. It's the ability to be loyal to Jesus, to stand firm even in times of adversity. Uh, who, Who among us here? If you're a Christ follower, does not want to hear Jesus himself say one day to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you know, the the closer I get to the finish line of life, (laughs) the more important and weighty those words are to me and maybe to you. But could we be honest for a moment? While it's easy to step across the line of faith, um, it's not so easy at times to follow Jesus faithfully. Because adversity comes into our lives and makes us wonder, is God really there? Does God really care? Does God really love me? Or maybe uh, life is just not going my way. Or maybe there are unanswered prayers in my life. Or maybe I've had disappointment with the church or with other Christians or with people in general. Just all kinds of things. I've been a Christian for a long time now and there have been points in my life where I'm guilty of doing what the author of Hebrews tells us we should not do, and that is shrink back. Big questions, big doubts, not so sure. And all of us here, we have to be careful that we don't gradually, gradually, gradually move from being faithful to, well, not so much. The reality is, Life is going to throw curveballs. And we are just a moment away from going from, I just am loving my life, to what the psalmist says, how long, O Lord? So, here's a question I'd like us to consider today. 
What can help me stand firm in times of adversity? We're going to answer that question based upon the passage Meg read to us earlier, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. But before we look at that passage, or most of it, uh, I would like to give us a little background to why Paul wrote the letter to the Thessalonians in the first place. Paul was in his second missionary journey to Thessalonica. And when he was there, he did what he did everywhere. He proclaimed how a person could be made right with God simply through faith in Jesus. And lo and behold, a bunch of Gentiles, that is non-Jews, put their faith in Jesus. And a number of Jewish people put their faith in Jesus. Now let me just pause there for a moment and say, here you have uh, Gentiles and Jews who never saw eye to eye coming together under the, the same tent of faith in Jesus. That was miraculous in itself. But when that happened, the the broader Jewish community was outraged, irate, and they pursued Paul. They were so angry at him, and and Paul had to flee Thessalonica. But, But leaving in his wake behind him were all of these brand new believers, these followers of Jesus, who were being persecuted because of believing in Jesus. And so now Paul, living in Corinth, also in Greece, writes this letter back to the Thessalonians. Now, we're about to answer our question, what can help me stand stand firm in times of adversity? We're going to read some of the passage that Meg read earlier, and then we'll try to answer this question. And this is how Paul began his words. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, We tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. You see where it says we were separated from you? In some Bible versions, it says we were torn from you or we were ripped away from you. Our hearts never left you. Some Some of us in the room have physically moved from one part of the country to another. And physical uprooting is hard, but what's really hard is relational uprooting when you leave behind the people you love. And that's what happened. That's what happened to Paul. And so he wanted to go visit them, but he couldn't. Why? We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. Somebody says, Come on. You're telling me you believe in Satan? You believe he's a real thing? All I can tell you is if you start from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, yes, he is a real being. He's also called the tempter, the devil, the adversary, the adversary, the one who causes adversity. And we don't know, we don't know exactly what Satan did to prevent Paul from going back to Thessalonica, but this is what we can say as we look at all of Scripture is that our adversary will do anything to keep us from fulfilling God's purposes and faithfully following Jesus. So now Paul cannot go back there, so he does the the next best thing. We sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. Why did he send Timothy, do you think? Well, let's read on in the yellow. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. They were going through troubles. 
We go through troubles. What do we need more than anything when we are going through troubles of whatever kind it is? Encouragement. You know what encouragement means? It means to inject courage. And that's why Paul sent Timothy to inject courage. Now, not in a I told you so kind of way, but more in a fatherly tone. This is what Paul writes. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. No surprise. Persecution will come. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. Paul is feeling deeply for these people, and he says, That is why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Paul doesn't back off of this idea of Satan. Here he calls him the tempter. And what does the tempter attempt to do? For any one of us to keep us from fulfilling God's purposes and keep us from faithfully following Jesus. All right, now we're just about ready to answer the question, what can help me stand firm in times of adversity? But first, I want to show you what is considered as Timothy's report. How are things really going there? And this is what we learn from Paul. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and your love. Good news, that's a, that, that, a term that means excitement. Paul is excited that, that he's learned that they have faith, they, that they have stood firm in their faith, and it's expressed in love for each other. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you, so we have been greatly encouraged. We ourselves have been injected with courage in the midst of our troubles and suffering. Dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. Again, they are living faith-filled lives, and Paul is so thrilled about this. It gives us new life to know that you are, there's our phrase, standing firm in the Lord in, in, in times of adversity. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. Isn't that a great term? Fill the gaps in your faith. We'll come back to that. Now, we're ready to answer this question. What can help me stand firm in times of adversity? You know what would be fun is if we just made a big circle and we answered that question. Based upon what we've just read from Paul's words, what did you see? What are some keys to standing firm in times of adversity? But rather than standing or sitting in a big circle and doing that, I'm just going to put up on the screen five words that I think represent keys for standing firm in times of adversity. These are words that Paul doesn't necessarily use, but the idea is in the text that we've just read. So, the first word is this, awareness. Awareness. Awareness of what? Awareness of adversity. Let's start with something we all know about. Now, maybe you recall this, uh, the, the first recorded message of Jesus, the first recorded sermon of Jesus. In the middle of it, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, that rain will fall on the just and the unjust alike. And what he means is you can be religious or irreligious. You can be Christian or non-Christian. You can be rich or poor. It's going to rain on you. 
It's coming. It's going to happen. And we, we, we know that. It, it, it happens all the time. But, but, but Jesus takes it up a notch with his followers. Um, for a number of years, and I've said, talked about this before, for a number of years I was the, the football chaplain for the Kent State University football team. And a lot of times I was in the locker room just before they take the field, and the head coach would say something like, Team, this is what you can expect on the field of battle today. Team, this is what you can expect from your opponent today. And Jesus, in his locker room talk with his disciples just before he goes to the cross, these are the words of Jesus. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now tucked between two comforting truths is one harsh reality. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Following Christ, following Jesus, will not be a cakewalk. Now, the Apostle Paul has already made it clear to the Thessalonians, expect it, expect it, be aware, it's coming, adversity. In his very last letter to Timothy, in his very last letter period, 2 Timothy, he doubles down on what Jesus said. And this is what he writes. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You and I need to be as clear-minded as Paul. We need to be as clear-minded as the book of Job is. We need to be as clear-minded as all of Scripture is that there is an adversary called Satan who creates adversity and creates adversity so that we can be kept from fulfilling God's purposes and faithfully following Jesus. Now I want to put a website on the screen. Whoops, there it is right there. Yeah, opendoors.org. Check it out sometime. This will show you where in the world 360 million Christians live who are now today suffering persecution because they were following Jesus. The adversary is the captain of persecution. But the adversary is the captain of all adversity. And you and I may not be persecuted for our faith. But you're going to experience relational pain. Financial pain. Physical pain. Emotional pain. Mental pain. Struggles. Loss. All kinds of adversity will come with the hopes, the enemy says, that you will not fulfill God's purposes and you will not faithfully follow Jesus. So, let's be aware of adversity. This brings us to a second word we can think about, and that is partnership. I love this term, I, this idea of partnership. Do you know you have a partner as you walk through life and as you follow Jesus? And it is God himself, his spirit. May, maybe you've heard the, the little quote. It's been going around lately. But um, if you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, run with someone. Do you know God's Spirit, who lives within every true believer, is running with you? Now, Paul doesn't say it like that. But this is the idea. This is, in the text we just read, this is what he says. How we thank God for you. 
what is Paul saying? At the, at the core of what is happening in the lives of the Thessalonians, as they stand firm in a time of adversity, what Paul is saying is, what, what's happening at the core of you is God at work. If we were to go back to the beginning of chapter 1 in his letter to the Thessalonians, we'd see that it was the Holy Spirit who drew the Thessalonians to God. If you were to go to the very end of chapter 5, the last chapter, you would see how Paul prays that God will do a transformative work in their lives. For Paul, he knows that the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives. And what is the Holy Spirit's job? We talked about it at the very beginning of the message. To build into us, grow in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God is as concerned about you faithfully following Jesus in a time of adversity as you are. But let's remember, it is a partnership. Now, throughout all of Paul's letters, without saying partnership, he refers to this idea of partnership. Now, one of the most famous passages in his letter to the Philippians, he says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is at work in you. But remember, it's a partnership. And so Paul front ends these words with these words. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Fear just means take God and his word seriously. God's spirit has a role. And he's at work. He's willing, waiting, wanting to do a work in your life. But he needs you to join in. And one of the key ways you and I can join in is by exposing ourselves continually to what? To truth, our third word. The other day, my wife and I were, uh, we were up early enjoying a cup of coffee, and she was in her chair, and I was in my chair. We were reading our Bibles, having some quiet time. And it's so, it's so funny, even as I share that, I, I remember the days when our kids were running around, and I thought that, that would have been impossible back then. So if you have little kids, uh, forgive me, but you, know, you reach a point in life where you can do that. And uh, so we were sitting there just enjoying our quiet time. And she said, can I share a verse with you I read the other day that just meant something to me? And I said, sure. And, and what she shared with me was from a psalm, Psalm 36. And it says this, for you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Isn't that a wonderful term? The light by which we see. What do we know about adversity? It brings with it at times, an element of darkness. Like, where do I go from here? What do I believe from here? What do I do now? It reminds me of, of that well-known psalm, Psalm 119-105, where David writes, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. We need light. We need God's perspective. And I think... I think that's what Paul is getting at when he writes those words we read earlier. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. So isn't that a great term, to fill the gaps in your faith? i got to tell you, I have gaps in my faith. Do you know this, this year, 2024, in November, it'll be 50 years since I stepped across the line of faith and just said, I'm going I'm to be a Christian. 50 years You'd think I'd have my gaps filled by now, but I don't. I still have growth to go. I still need to mature in my faith. I'm not there yet, and none of us are. 
And I think what Paul is saying, I want to come fill those gaps. I, I think what he means is I want to come be an example to you of what it looks like to follow Christ in, time, in a time of adversity. But I also want to come and instruct you and teach you so that you have what? Light by which you can see. Perspective so you can see. We need truth in times of adversity. That's why time in God's word is never lost on you. This occurred to me just yesterday. I was thinking about um, th- th- this example from the, the, from the book of Proverbs. We studied the book of Proverbs this past fall in this room. But in, in chapter 6, Solomon talks about one of the wisest animals there is on earth. Do you know what it is? It's an ant. Is an ant an animal? It's an insect. Not that I needed to tell you that. But an ant is one of the wisest creatures on earth. Why is it so wise? It goes back and forth to its nest, back and forth, back and forth. And what is it? You've watched an ant before. It carries a little grain with it, one grain at a time, one grain at a time. And why does it do that? It knows winter is coming. It's storing up its food. That's what an ant does. You know winter's coming in your life. You know adversity is coming in your life. And a little bit, at a time from God's word, absorbing truth into your life will give you light by which you can see and perspective. And hopefully that truth will eventually lead us to this fourth word, which is love. Now we read this just a few moments ago where Paul celebrates their love, but now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. Their faith is being evidenced by love for each other. Now, he, I want to say more about love in just a moment, but I want to show you what else he says as he, as he explains it a little bit more what he's seen in chapter 4. It's the very next chapter, he writes this, But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia, Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. The word love is an interesting word, is it? In the the English language, it's it's incredibly imprecise. You know, I love chocolate ice cream. I do. And I love my wife. I do. I love cycling. I love my family. I love alone time. I love time with people. I love, I love, I love. It's very imprecise. I can love a lot of different things, and so can you. But in the, in, the, in the Greek language, and maybe you know this, that, that there's a number of words to represent different kinds of love. And in, in this text, Paul's using the word, the Greek word agape, which means love, which, in, if I could just summarize it, it, it means commitment. And also I could say this, that this is God's kind of love. This is God's kind of love toward you. He is committed to you. It's, it's commitment. This, uh, this summer... 2024 is going to be a year for us. Oh, my goodness. We have a daughter getting married at the beginning of summer and a son getting married at the end of summer. Just pray for me and, and my wife especially. And two, I just want to say this in just a little while. We're going to have a collection plate. Um, <laughs> go down the aisles uh, just to support the Halley Wedding Fund. But when my daughter Anna stands up there with Cody and I get to actually 
do their vows with them. Uh, Pastor Eric's going to give the message and so on, but I'm going to give the vows. They're going to commit to each other agape kind of love. I'm committed to you. And then later in the summer, when Matthew stands up there with Jillian, he, they're going to commit their love to them. They, they, it's the kind of love that says, I'm not going anywhere. You can mess up, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm in this for the long haul kind of love. That's what Paul's talking about. It's a, it's a commitment kind of love. Now, he uses the term one another, love one another. Now, the phrase one another, do you know, is found 59 times in the New Testament. And a third of those times, it is love one another. Why does Paul do that? Because we have gaps in our faith. Because we face dark times. Because we need light by which we can see. And we need each other in times of great, great difficulty. When I'm going through a hard time, and I will, because we live in an imperfect world, and, and, and you will go through a difficult time because we live in an imperfect world with imperfect jobs and imperfect families and imperfect health and imperfect whatever. I hope you'll be there for me. Love one another. And when you're going through a hard time, I know that our church will be there for you. We've got to love one another. We've got to be committed to one another. I'm not going anywhere kind of love. That's what helps us through times of adversity. So we've, we've talked about a number of things. Uh, but there's one last word, and it is this, to finish. I, I love, I've talked about cycling before. I love cycling. I've done some long rides before. And, you know, as you're approaching the 100-mile mark, at mile 80, all you can think about is the finish line. This past summer, my wife and our daughter, we did a 50-mile ride. At, at mile 40, you're thinking about the 50-mile line. Maybe you're a runner or maybe you're a swimmer. All you can think about is the finish line eventually. Or maybe you've got a project going on at work. You're thinking about the, project, the finish line. Or maybe, maybe you're thinking, I just got to get the kids through school. I mean, not just one day, but I, toward the, I just got to get them through high school. Just, just, or maybe you're thinking, I just got to get through this day. You know, I, I, the finish, the finish line is important, right? That's what Paul is trying to help them understand. Did you know that at the end of each chapter in 1 Thessalonians, there is a reference to the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming again. And, and a lot of chapter 4 is dedicated to Jesus coming again. And much of his second letter to the Thessalonians is related to Jesus coming again. What's Paul saying? Hold on. Hold on. There is a finish line coming. Don't give up. This is a time of great adversity. Don't give up. Because there is a time coming when Jesus will make it all right. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more loss. There will be no more death. Just hold on. Keep going. And so the Apostle Paul, he knows he's at the end of his life. He gets his head lopped off. Scripture doesn't tell that. Tradition tells us that he gets his head cut off. He's executed. And when he's writing his very last letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, He's referring to that. He knows it's just around the corner. And this is what, listen to what he says about the finish line. 
right? Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What he's saying is, I have stood firm in times of adversity. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? It's going to happen. And that can help us stand firm in a time of adversity. Adversity will come in all shapes and sizes, all kinds of pain, all kinds of loss, you name it, what you're going through now, who knows what you will go through. But we know there is a finish line, and we will see Jesus. So stand firm, good and faithful servant. What I'd like to do is close with the prayer that we heard earlier as a benediction, but you'll see at the very end of what Paul prays is a reference to the finish line. It goes like this. May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy. As you stand before God our Father, when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. So, stand firm. Have a great day.